Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. Today, we are talking to Bavia Aurora. Um, Bavia, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, Kayla. It's lovely to see you. Yeah, I'm so excited to actually see you in person after all this time Instagram messaging. (laughs) Or I guess on Zoom, I should say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So to go ahead and kick off the podcast, we we typically start by asking this um, to all of our guests. Can you tell us a little bit about your own mental health journey? All right. So... That's a tough one, but okay, I'll start because starting with the tough one. Um, my mental health journey started with uh, me recognizing that I had a lot of things that I needed to deal with in my own space when I was 13. And I started with self-help first. And uh, my family has raised us like a village. And that's a That's a metaphor I use very often when I talk about my upbringing. So it has been very supportive, very kind, and very values-oriented. So uh, the self-help initially looked like asking ourselves, who are we as a family collective? And then sitting with ourselves, because my grandfather would make us meditate every day since we were six years old. So asking, who am I? And that kind of stayed. And then when 13, you know, the teenage hit, um, I had my own episodes of being bullied at school. And that is something I'm vocal about. I had my episodes of uh, harassment and emotional, verbal, physical, sexual, and all of that happening at the age of 13. And that's when I recognized that I really did need help. Um, Unfortunately, in the Indian scenario, the school systems And even the communities, while there was a very healthy environment at home, the institutions did not have a concept of mental health or something that was conducive uh, of the support that I needed at the moment. So I had to start with self-help. Even though I was reaching out to adults, uh, there wasn't any structured support available. That's when I also started volunteering in my journey. And I've been actively volunteering since I was 13. I'm 24 right now. So it's been a lot of years, almost a decade of actively volunteering and advocating for mental health. While I was doing a lot of stuff in my own space in terms of self-help, I also recognized that a lot of things that we were doing for the community in terms of community service and uh, volunteering, I recognized that the major thing that changed or transformed the community was a mindset shift. And that is where I got inclined more and more towards psychology. And uh, in India, culturally, the writer students are generally expected sort of out of the norm 
to take up science as a stream and become doctors and engineers, you know, socially. And um, it was against everybody's will, including my school, my parents and my families, that I took up humanities as a subject in class 11. And um, because I wanted to study humanities, I just randomly said I want to take it because I want to become a psychologist. I did not think I'd become one then, but because I was already leaning on towards my own mental health journey, I was leaning on to understanding this communities and how that stayed with me, that the mindset shifts were actually bringing transformation in communities uh, that stayed with me. So this was just a get out of the conversation free card that I want to be a psychologist, which is near to a doctor. So they were okay with it. Mm-hmm. They let me stay in humanities and somehow staying and studying humanities, I recognized that I really did want to take this up. It aligned with my, my values. It aligned with who I was as a person. It aligned with my passion. It aligned with what I wanted to do uh, as a person for the society, for the community, for myself. Um, that's how it started. I officially started my journey in therapy back in 2016. and. Uh, this not been any looking back because the more that I've grown as a person, the better I've become as a therapist. And the institutions that I've been fortunate fortunate enough to study with, they had the rule that um, there's a saying in our institutions that you cannot facilitating facilitate healing for somebody else until you're actively doing that in your own space for your own self. So supervision and personal therapy was a mandatory requirement for the institution as well. And I myself recognized that I needed it in my own space. So I've been in and out of therapy ever since 2016. Now it's not so much distress-based, but it is about skill building and my own personal development and growth that I enter spaces of therapy with different modalities sometimes um, and explore and go with it. That's amazing. And that um that that thing that you were talking about with uh the institutions that you're studying under, kind of having that rule, that's so powerful because that's so true. I mean, how are you gonna help somebody else learn and grow and um heal, really, unless you are on that same journey as well? Um that is incredible. So thank you. Yeah. And what a story. Thank you so much for um, sharing and being like so honest and vulnerable. Um, That's really powerful stuff. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. So I did want to talk a little bit about. So, oh, my gosh, you are you are 24 years old and you have done all of this amazing work. Um, Yeah, that's very impressive. So can you can you tell us a little bit about kind of your personal history. I read your bio a little bit from um, when you did our takeover a couple of weeks ago and you have done so many things, which is awesome. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about that journey and your kind of professional development, I guess? All right. So in India, what uh, becoming a mental health professional looks like is doing a bachelor's and master's in psychology. and um, just being in that space. However, I did not take the traditional routes route uh, there as well. I was a person who's always learning outside of the class. So while I was doing my bachelor's, I also happened to stumble 
on hypnotherapy and that's where I started doing my levels there and I became a certified clinical hypnotherapist by the time I was graduated and then I continued with my regular bachelor's and master's in psychology and outside of that I um, did my post-graduation in transpersonal regression from an institute in Netherlands and only 800 therapists in the world are practicing it currently and I happen to be the youngest one internationally practicing it Um, and outside of that I also because the narrative of mental health in this country where I live in um, is a little hollow it's a lot stereotyped it's stigmatized so I recognized all of that and right within my graduation years I started advocating very actively towards mental health so whatever I was doing in terms of community service with wildlife with organ donations, blood donations, etc. got super laser focused to mental health by the time I entered my graduation years. And um, I started volunteering with the community. I started hosting events and advocating pages. Um, and that's how it started in my professional zone. I also was fortunate enough to be having a conversation with the leading mental health professionals in our country with a hospital that's uh, called Ames, New Delhi. That's the central hospital in India for our, you know, educational institutions. I just happened to have a conversation with our doctors and I said that if we celebrate Diwali, why don't we celebrate mental health? And I know how naive that comment was. At the time, it was uh, uninformed. It was just a comment that I made. And a few months later, they called me and they said, can we do that? Do you think that's possible? And uh, I was like, okay, yes, let's try. I'm not sure, but let's try. And that's how we conceptualized and ended up creating India's first mental health festival in the country. And um, which had a thousand people joining in across, uh, from across the borders, from internationally as well. But people from different spaces talking about mental health, because what I observed through Uh, my journey was that whenever I was bringing up the conversation about mental health, people was generally talking about depression, they were talking about suicides, they were talking about insanity, and you know, just the cuckoo and crazy words that go on in their heads. And I really felt that the narrative has to change. Because when I say mental health, I could equally be talking about joy, I could be talking about your relationships, I could be talking about what makes you happy, what gives you purpose, what drives your passion. And the conversation was missing. So with the festival, we celebrated mental health. We celebrated neurodiversity. We celebrated a lot of other things. We celebrated resilience. And it was amazing to see the country and people coming together. And the festival continues to happen till date. But uh, to conceptualize it and to actually create a platform that honors mental health for mental health, not being synonymous with mental illnesses was amazing. And that was one of the monumental things that I consider in my professional journey this far. And it was absolutely amazing to create that. Outside of that, I was in 2018, I'd started my private practice, but I lost a client and I thought that it's too early to lose a client um, to suicide. And um, I took it very personally. I did not know how to cope. So I shifted my spaces and I love to train. So I joined an organization, an international NPO, as an intercultural trainer. And that's where I got trained to be an intercultural trainer 
a counselor as well as a global competence trainer. And then in my job space at the time, I was heading a department, a very new department. Um, they just said that, okay, you're joining. Let's create the department for you and let's see what we can do with it. And uh, I took it and I ran with it. And we created intercultural support for our participants coming from 14 countries on various international government programs to India. For our participants going to multiple countries from India to different countries to help with the adaptation and the initial, you know, cultural shock and just settling in the country and having a good intercultural learning experience. Outside of that, I started training and I was taking over trainings for about 100 plus schools span India and working with about 1200 volunteers with training operations of the organization in 30 plus cities in India. And that was 18 months of uh, rigorously working there. And uh, I was in the US in January, 2020, when I met my mentor who said, because I was talking about mental health again and again, the drive of passion that nothing is changing in this country. And, you know, all the sadness that I sometimes carry around the narrative that we have. And then she asked me, then what are you doing about it? I said, I'm doing my job. I don't have time for that anymore. And then she said, it feels like you have a gift and you're just keeping it in a safe locker that has 20 plus locks and you're not willing to share it. And that stayed with me. And then the pandemic happened and I saw more than ever uh, the country needed mental health professionals who were able to offer access to quality mental health support. And that's when I decided, even though the career trajectory at the organization was going very, very well, I decided that I'll step down and come back to my private practice and really this time work towards expanding access to mental health support in India and offer psychoeducation in a manner that offers support and that is simplified enough and translated enough for the masses to grab. Because a lot of times in India, we don't even have words like anxiety. This is the this is something that my 40-year-old clients sometimes hear for the first time in their lives. Although they've been living with insomnia and nervousness, palpitations for years, and they don't know the word anxiety. It just doesn't exist. So. Um, I've come down there working in the grassroots, the grassroots spaces and making sure that the education that we have and that I've been fortunate to receive is simplified enough for the masses to have access to in a format that makes sense to them, in a format that they can um, work with in their own spaces, even if they do not have yet access to a mental health professional, something is better than nothing. So. That's uh, my professional journey is with the space that I'm holding right now as well. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. That is so much stuff that you've done just in such a short period of time. That That's truly like very inspiring, honestly. And I did want to kind of backtrack just a little bit and, and uh, talk a little bit about the mental health festival that um, you kind of started, basically. I really, really love that you said that the kind of the purpose was to celebrate mental health um, as opposed to making it synonymous with mental illness, because that's not the case. Like mental health is health and everybody with a brain has mental health. We like to say that at one in five 
all the time. Yeah. Um, because everybody has mental health. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's such a powerful thing to be able to celebrate on, on such a massive scale. So that's, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. Um, and so-, everything. <laughs> so yeah, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now with new thought therapist. So is is that the practice that you started back in 2018? That's not the name that I gave it to the practice back then. I just started, ventured in as a very young therapist back in 2018. And now the practice has a name. Now the practice has an identity. Now the practice has a space in its own. Uh, It's taking up space in the mental health area. So that's where I'm at right now. At New Thought Therapist, the purpose is to offer quality mental health support and simplified psychoeducation. And um, as I was saying, that the idea is that, so in our country, again, we have only 800 registered clinical psychologists in the country and um, maybe like a few other unregistered mental health professionals because we are yet to form a board that looks that overlooks therapists and counseling psychologists. But that means that we have one mental health professional for, let's say, um, 10,000 people and more. And that's also, I think, in a very underestimated ratio. I think it would be 100,000 people, but one mental health professional in the country for that size of the population. So it becomes even more important that the avenues of access expand the way that we are thinking of mental health support opens boundaries of, um, you know, the traditional care models, which is one-on-one support or a community support. And there is more. And I feel that education has the capacity to do that. Education has the capacity to actually reach out masses. And even if make them aware that this is happening in your space, like stress exists in your space, anxiety exists in your space, there's grief that we are going through right now. And, you know, even if just offering words to what they're going through and just creating space for them to recognize that, okay, there is something that is um, not healthy in my space right now. And that is impacting not just my mental health or my physical health, but my life in general. So that's the awareness space when you thought therapist is currently in the last eight months. We have been able to build, I've been able to build a course, 21 days program to end the year of pandemic. I was hoping that was the end, but I was hoping that the 21 days program in December would be the year, uh, would be a program that allowed space for people to process the year and a lot that happened alongside the pandemic in their spaces. And that's how it started. I have written four courses of psychoeducation for a Silicon Valley based startup working towards psychoeducation. Since then, I have um, consulted with various international NPOs as well as social impact organizations to offer um, educational content and work with them to formulate the content and curriculum that they're delivering outside. I have been able to 
kickstart the international curriculum of global competence training for teenagers in India. And what else? We have been able to get a feature on India's largest women-driven platform called IDEVA for the women who are making a change in 2020. And uh, apart from that, we've been able to, one of the key things that we've been able to do is create breath. And that's a seven days program, a curriculum that I've been able to design with my colleague in Portugal. She's a family therapist. And together we have created seven days and seven different ways to look at stress and anxiety and identify it in our own spaces. Because while I was having this conversation in India that we need resources that are simplified, we need content that is in the language, in the native language, so it reaches people. Um, she was having the similar kind of challenges in Portugal. And so we have the program running currently in English, Hindi, and Portuguese. And we have had three cohorts by now. And we have had about 100 plus participants participating with the seven days program. And it is a virtual program, do it at your own pace but it's a lot of insight-oriented work um, to do with your own stress and anxiety, to sit with it and really identify how it's presenting in your space and also being able to use mindfulness and psychotherapeutic tools in your own space to navigate it. So that has been a good, good addition to Nirdha Therapist. Apart from that, there have been workshops happening and other collaborations that we are doing outside of um, taking in individual clients that I work with each day, each month. And that's about it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that, that education piece is so important. That's, um, that's a lot of what we do at One in Five is we work with youth and teachers and educators and parents to, uh, we, we have more of like an upstream approach. So educating about mental health and mental illnesses at a younger age so that the youth and the next generation are more prepared to be able to cope with anything should it come up and have the language to actually identify what's happening with their own mental health. And so that is definitely a mission that we can we can resonate with and that that is very close to home here. <laughs> But yeah, that that education piece is just so valuable and so important um, because that's really where where change happens. And that's it, at least in my opinion. <laughs> and that is true. And which is where when you guys reached out and I was like, yes, this this resonates with what I've been doing in my own space, what I've been collaborating with. So it was even more reasons, a happier reason to collaborate with you. Yeah. And kudos to you for all the work that you have done so far. Thanks. And I love the name in itself, like one in five, because that's true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's very, very true. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's even right there. Like you said, the name is just trying to start the conversation about mental health and mental illness. So yeah. And, and thank you for collaborating with us. Uh, your takeover was awesome, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. And actually, that kind of leads me to something else I wanted to talk about. So your social media presence is amazing. Like your Instagram page, I follow you. And uh, I love all the content that you put out there because it, it's, it's really a lot of like destigmatizing work. So what kind of what kind of drives you to keep 
doing that on top of everything else that you're already doing. So thank you, first of all, for acknowledging, because I will be very honest that I'm not an Instagram person, but it has taken me <laughs> a lot of coming out of my own box to uh, step into the space and create access because what was happening so far was through my personal account, I was always talking about mental health and raising awareness in my own ways um, through collaborating with other organizations and writing content for them. I was doing that. And um, I really felt that because there was only so much that I could do because it was the organization or the way that they wanted to put out or through my personal um, Instagram, it was only a limited number of people that the content was reaching. So um, last mental health day, World Mental Health Day, 10th of October, 2020, I really sat with myself and I said, let's do this. Like now we've really stepped out of the job and this is what we stepped out for, creating access. So why not do it in the format that makes sense? Because the world is on social media, so why not? And um, that's how I started. I really feel that I could be more regular on my Instagram. But what I recognize is that each post should have a certain meaning, even if it's coming out of the space of vulnerability and sometimes personal sharing. And a lot of the posts are educational more than anything, which means that a lot of research goes behind putting out a certain post and uh, really putting out the facts right and in a holistic view of things, because even in the mental health space, the researches are very diverse and uh, the space is so dynamic that we are growing every day, that every day a new thought is actually coming up in this space. So the idea is to accommodate a more holistic perspective of whatever is coming in the space of mental health and to be able to offer access. to. So it talks about, uh, the page talks about the mind. It talks about the mind and body connection. It talks about the somatic work that I do. It talks about a lot of uh, the ways in which mental health impacts physical health. It talks about um, the emotional space and just understanding the simple emotions and then going into the complexities of emotions. It talks about destigmatizing, of course. It talks about things we should be saying, we should not be saying to support someone at this moment or, uh, you know, offer access. There's a lot of engagement. I think I'm most active on my stories because it's nice to engage and talk. So there's a lot of engagement that's, that goes there with the community that I've been able to nurture in this time. And uh, a lot of interaction and personal sharing as well as hearing and witnessing stories um, within the boundaries of like really not having the community unpack their traumas to me and Instagram then being a limited space to be able to offer access for healing or any kind of mental health support through Instagram. So just within the boundaries of that, just engaging with the community about the conversations that are very, very close to my heart. So I would say that I'm far behind on the strategy of uh, having any kind of social media presence, but I do what I can uh, as best as I can and I show up. Yeah. And that's, that's really what's important, I think, is being there and being in that space. Um, because you can really tell that every, every single post you make comes from the heart and it's, there's passion behind it. And that is so important. And I think, I think 
people will see that. I see it. So I'm hoping yeah. that other people see it. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is, oh my gosh. Yeah, I just, I do love seeing your posts. <laughs> I always watch all the like reels and everything and <laughs> it's very powerful stuff. But kind of going beyond um, just the social media, and I know we've talked a little bit about this so far. Can you expand a little bit on like what you do as a psychotherapist for some of our listeners who may not have ever had like, or tried psychotherapy? Okay. So I specialize in transpersonal regression, and that's where I will lay my focus here. Uh, the modality is a mix of working in your space somatically as well as uh, emotionally. So it's a holistic healing modality. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea is to unpack whatever has happened in the past. It's a psychodynamic modality, uh, person-centered, insight-oriented, as well as trauma-informed. I will simplify these words as I go for the listeners. Um, So hang in there. Uh, The modality basically offers you an insight to what you have gone through and really how does it impact you today. So it is a lot trauma-focused. So the modality basically offers insight about how you have experienced things in your past and identifying traumas as trauma as something that you have experienced that you did not feel that you have had the mental, emotional or physical capacity to integrate. And that's where it stayed frozen or unprocessed. So it's revisiting those spaces because it's a regression space. So we revisit those spaces and really look at trauma, not for what happened, but also for what stayed and uh, process it in a very holistic way that is both emotion-centered. That means that you have ample time to process the emotional space of it. It is cognitive. We figure out how it has impacted your cognitive space, which means the beliefs that you have carried so far Uh, the impressions of the incident that you carry and just looking at how it has impacted your life in all the different shades and just revisiting that how um, you're basically taking that forward with you, whatever has happened, how have you carried it so far? It is also a somatic approach. So we basically see how your body interacts with what you experienced and uh, what you think what you feel, and how the body can find a space of safety, a space of equilibrium, and a space of calm and peace without having to re-experience the trauma over and over again and come back to a space of uh, regulated nervous system while we process whatever has happened. So um, I like to call it like surgery of the mind because it's really like dissecting each area of what you have experienced so any incident that you pick up it's dissecting layer by layer every detail of that incident and how it interacts with you as a being and as a whole and then integrating it sort of like packing it back again in a very gift wrap format so that you feel healed and okay to go back to your life with skills and tools to cope better I love that. I've never heard that um, surgery of the mind metaphor before. I really like that. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank you for kind of unpacking all of that for our listeners um, who may not be familiar with that. And I was just thinking about a, another question that I had. Okay. So something I tell my clients is whenever they forget and lose their train of thoughts, I tell them if it's important, it will come back to you. Just give your body the message. Yeah. If it's important, it will come back to you. Well, there you go. I was going to tell my uh, our intern to cut that part out, but I think that's a really important <laughs> um, little note. So we're going to keep that part in. <laughs> oh, I was I I remembered what I was going to say. Um, so talking about like different types of therapy, or what, rather your type of therapy. Um, do you have any advice for people who are looking for a therapist for the first time? Because um, it can be really scary to be out there and like searching for a therapist anywhere across the world, basically. <laughs> and it seems like in, in India in, in particular, it might be um, probably as much more difficult than here in the States. Um, so what kind of advice do you give people looking for um, a therapist? So that's a very good question, because just the idea of seeking therapy in itself is very scary. And then to find the right kind of professional feels scarier and a lot overwhelming. So if I do have a few suggestions, they would be that whenever you're looking for a therapist, I always say that do not go after the modality. A lot of times people feel that, you know, um, this is the space for me to be and I will work through only the cognitive work or I do not want to go back into my childhood. So no childhood stuff or anything just for that matter. And I always recommend that just find the person that you find as a fit to your puzzle. So find the therapist. And I'm sure of this uh, about my community that we generally all therapists are trained with multiple modalities and we have a lot of tools in our toolkits. And if you find the right therapist, therapists are generally very generous and open to using them all. And uh, just, you know, navigating and shifting in our approaches to benefit the client. So look for the therapist that you find or feel is the right fit for you. The second thing that I would recommend is a few questions that you must ask your therapist before you join in, which is um, number one, do they have experience working with your case or your kind of uh, problem before? If they have, how have they dealt with it? Or could they give you an idea of what healing in that space looks like? The second very important question to ask the therapist is how many sessions or what is the kind of, um, what is the space of healing or what does healing look like with the modality that you're choosing or the therapist that you're choosing? The third very important question, especially for Indian uh, participants, is the finances because insurance doesn't cover mental health expenses for us. So just asking if, how much they charge, and if at all they have a sliding scale. A lot of us do, so that's good. But just meeting that, okay, if the sliding scale suits your needs. The fourth very important question is, what does communication look like with you? What are the scheduling uh, hours? How do I schedule an, uh, an appointment? And if it's very urgent, how do I touch base with you? Is it on email? Do I have your work phone? And I know that it's only in the case of emergencies that I'm reaching out or how do we go about that? Um, getting clarity on all these points is very, very important. And also, apart from this, of course, to check in about their credentials and educations. 
education space so that you know that you're going ahead with the right therapist. Thank you so much. That's um, that's very important to kind of like share and talk about because starting therapy is scary. And especially if you don't really know how to go about finding a therapist, that's that can be a really terrifying thing to do. So I like to always ask any therapist that we have on what they advise people to do. But yeah, that kind of leads me into the last thing that I had planned that I would like to talk about. And then after that, of course, like if there's more stuff, we can keep talking. So working like in mental health and mental health advocacy um, and therapy can be very draining for yourself personally, right? So how, um, what kind of steps do you take to take care of your own mental health and your own like mental wellness? So I get asked this a lot and especially in India, there's this concept and a stigmatized conversation again around this where people feel that you will take on another person's issues or people who treat crazy people go crazy themselves. And that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a narrative, uh, that we really work towards destigmatizing. But I, I get asked this question a lot. And um, thank you for addressing that. For me, in my space, every time I'm in session, ask me to do any admin work, and you might just find me in tears, but ask me to take session at any hour of the day, at any moment. Ask me to talk about mental health, even if I've just woken up and not slept for 36 hours straight. I'd be happy to do that because it's from such a space of passion. So I do recognize that uh, for me, it happens to be something that actually adds joy to my space. But apart from that, I do make sure that I cap the number of sessions that I take per day and the number of clients that I can see per month. And after that, even though a lot of uh, there's a little bit of conflict in my own space about expanding access and then putting a boundary so the two contradictions do not generally gel well together but i've learned to place those boundaries in my space mm-hmm. of capping the number of people that i see per month and sessions that i take per day apart from that there as i was telling you before that with my family i do have a very beautiful meditation regime built ever since I was six. So that has continued with me in my space. And um, my routine generally looks like waking up at 4 a.m. and meditating every day and like really nourishing what I need in my own space. And um, so meditation is not a lot about spirituality, even though it is to a great extent. A lot of times it's just sitting with myself and asking how does my heart feel today? or how am I really feeling today? Or what is it that I need to nourish and nurture in myself today? And then just setting that intent and intention for the day. And even if then I have to make changes in my schedule, even if it means that sometimes just moving around things so that I can provide myself space to have that at loss of words, sorry. But even if it means just sitting with myself and really giving myself the space to be and not do anything, I have done that for myself. Um, In my own space, taking care of me looks like not taking sessions when I am having a bad mental health day. Because as I was saying that 
if i need support i would rather close and give myself all the support that i need and apologize to my clients and tell them that right now i'm prioritizing my own mental health uh before anything else right now and just sitting and giving myself the time space and nourishment that i need for me mental health also means having regular therapy sometimes also in supervision but i am also taking therapist with a uh, therapy with an expressive arts therapist at the moment just to unpack how things go it's uh, a couple of sessions each month just to be in the space and experience what i'm experiencing in support of another individual and uh, really working through whatever I, it is that i need to work through journaling is something that is a part of my day sometimes it's about art journaling sometimes it's just about writing a few things sometimes it's just about actively writing even through poetry or something just journaling is a part of my everyday routine as well other than that uh, taking care of my own mental health looks like spending time with the people that i love so um, i have been that person who worked 18 hours a day so now now as a recovering person and healing through that pattern mental health care also looks like consciously spending time with my loved ones and family and friends and just allowing myself to do things that actually give me joy and if they don't just letting them sit and finding strengths and strength and tools and things to do so that i can do them but even if it's not happening then just then letting them go well thank you so much for sharing all that that's um that's one of my favorite like things to ask somebody because everybody has their own routine and to me it's just so fascinating to see how or to hear i guess how other people are healing in their own space and in their own time and yeah i just i love hearing about that so thank you well bavia that is all i had to ask about is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to talk about i would definitely like to talk about the mind and body connection of mental health um because that is something that sometimes gets left out of the conversation that a lot of times when we are thinking about physical health we're only talking about the body and we're only talking about um treatments of the body and nothing to do with the mental support and a lot of times when we are talking about mental health even if it's about taking pills the conversation remains uh limited to psychiatry or just like dealing with mind and the body then again gets left out of the picture so being a holistic practitioner and also recognizing how the mind and body interact and also being in the space of somatic healing i recognize that a lot of times our mind and the way that we repress our emotions so the things that we tell ourselves that we'll get back to it or oh, i don't have time to feel this or this really can't be happening to me and then just forgetting about it or distract distracting ourselves through netflix or other spaces um we tend to do that and because we do that our body keeps a score even if our mind moves and shifts directions our body keeps a score and when a lot of times um the similar incidents happen the similar triggers show up then our body i i often like to talk about it in this way that our body talks to us and when you stop listening it screams so 
that wellness space turns into illness and then your body screams and asks for attention and then you just have to stop and listen and a lot of times we still listen but we try to control and numb down the symptoms like we look at symptoms of the body of our anxiety or even our mental health spaces as something that we have to get rid of i try to look at them as feedbacks as to what is it that your mind and body are trying to communicate so just listening to that communication and being an active advocate for your mind and body connection um is very very important for me as a therapist and i try to keep bringing that conversation forward as to remember that you reside in this body as a mind and a healthy mind and a healthy body means a healthy life and without the two components being healthy you cannot achieve a prime time mental health so this conversation in itself is something that i advocate very uh, much and i wanted to use this platform to talk to listeners about this as well absolutely yeah thank you for bringing that up that's that's another thing that's so important because um and well and that's something that we actually talk about within the workspace at 1 and 5 as well um like if if we're taking on too much and if um somebody like is just like oh my gosh i don't feel up to doing this like my body is telling me no i can't keep uh taking this on or whatever it might be maybe not necessarily work related but if you are like we have a couple of people with children who like have talked about how um they have to take a step back and do like breathing exercises with their kids and then like do their own breathing exercises with themselves and that's like so powerful to be able to recognize that your body needs that moment to just take a breath and reset and um yeah it's it's very true that um your body tells you what it needs and we just need to be better at listening to it i think um so Yeah. Well, Bavia, it has been um an absolute pleasure talking with you. You are a wealth of knowledge um and it has been so incredible hearing about your journey um getting to where you are today with New Thought Therapist and um with your like mental health advocacy work and all of the amazing things that you have accomplished. Um we are so excited to see uh what you do in the future um because i know that you you definitely have more stuff coming i can feel it <laughs> thank you so much kayla thank you so much for having me and giving me the space to talk about the work absolutely absolutely well thank you so much thank you so much for listening to learn more about this episode you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org we ask that you please subscribe rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we are changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time.